lock and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show here live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. My name is Steve Dace. He's Todd Erzin. He's Aaron McIntyre. Let us know what you think about what we think via the stevedace.com inbox, which you can access by emailing the show, steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook, MeWe Parlor and Gab. You can follow me at Steve Dace Show on Twitter and Getter. And then you can get clips of the show free to watch that are also free of any censorship over at rumble.com slash Steve Day Show as well. I don't know, did you guys see um did you did you see Jennifer Rubin who put out a column yesterday? I don't know if Aaron is old enough to remember this, but Jennifer Rubin, when you and I were growing up, was uh, Todd Build and well into our adult years, was billed as the conservative over at the Washington Post. Do you, you remember those days? I do, but I'm really uncomfortable because these last 30 seconds is the most you've ever spent talking about Jennifer <laughs> Rubin on this show, and I don't know where the hell this is going. <laughs> she wrote this, and I, I cannot believe this made it past. You know what? I should stop. Of course I can believe this made it past editors and everything else. She wrote a piece yesterday, and you know it's dumb. Otherwise, we wouldn't ad- be addressing her by name ever, as you just pointed out. The premise of her piece was, if it wasn't for the fact you can afford nothing... People would be would be praising Joe Biden for every other economic marker and metric. Now, I don't agree with that, by the way. Okay, and and that's fallacious in and of itself. But imagine her own point. What do you and I care is the state of the economy at a meta level if we cannot afford to live within it at an individual level? Right. I mean, how out of touch do you have to be? That's not even a political spin. That is just, you're just out of touch and lack any self-awareness whatsoever. And as we continue to see inflation spiral out of control, it's the worst we've seen in 40 years. Don't tell Jennifer Rubin. I'm sure she's doing just fine there over at WAPO. Okay. But for everybody else, the value of our dollars is decreasing every passing day, whether we're at the pump, the grocery store, Cars, housing, face it, more and more, our paper money is feeling worthless. That's why they're now talking about government digital currencies. That's why you want to make sure uh, you talk to our friends over at Bullion Max. They are direct-to-consumer precious metals retailer. They'll help your family diversify into gold and silver, the all-time human historical hedge against inflation. Also, security for your family in times of crisis owned by veterans in the precious metal space. They're going to offer you some of the lowest prices that you're going to get, including employee pricing right now on Bullion Max's Silver Starter Kit. You'll get it at employee pricing. Uh, The kit includes five of the most desirable silver products out there to invest in, but the offer is limited to just one per household. So get employee pricing on their Silver Starter Kit today when you go to bullionmax.com slash Steve. Bullionmax.com slash Steve. And with that, we begin, as we always do, with Aaron's rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away, brought to you by Stuff, is getting real now. Twitter announced this morning the newly minted largest shareholder of the company, Elon Musk, 
is indeed joining Twitter's board of directors. So this actually is going to get interesting. Things are also getting interesting at Donald Trump's Truth Social. Two top executives abruptly resigned from the company this week amid the app's disastrous launch. In other news, Utah Senator Mitt Romney announced last night he's going to be voting to confirm Biden's Supreme Court nominee, Ketanji Brown-Jackson. This comes after Romney voted against her appointment to the D.C. Circuit last year and after the revelations came out about her granting leniency across the board to child pornographers. In Florida, voter registration is swinging heavily in favor of Republicans and yet another indication of the success of Governor Ron DeSantis's policies in that state. As of the end of March, Republicans led Democrats in voter registration numbers in the state by 103,000. At the end of February, the lead was 89,000. But get this, the GOP had a voter registration deficit of 134,000 as of October 2020. Speaking of Florida, former Democrat Congresswoman Tulsi Gabbard came off the top rope and said the state's anti-grooming law doesn't go far enough. We should all support the parental rights and education bill that recently passed in Florida, which very simply bans government and government schools from indoctrinating woke sexual values in our schools to a captive audience, a captive audience that is by law required to attend. But as I read the legislation, I got to tell you, I was shocked to learn that it only protects kids from kindergarten till third grade. Third grade? What about 12th grade? Or not at all? And finally, a series of truth neutron bombs. This is North Carolina's lieutenant governor, Mark Robinson, at a Church of God in Christ in a message delivered late last year that went viral over the weekend. Here's something else I'm not supposed to say. Ain't but two genders. Two genders. Ain't nothing but men and women. And I can already see WRL out there. They got they licking their pencils around, trying to write fierce as they can. Get every word of this here. Get every word of this. You can go to the doctor and get cut up. You can go down to the dress shop and get made up. You can go down there and get drugged up. But at the end of the day, you were just a drugged up, dressed up, made up, cut up, man or woman. You ain't changed what God put in you, that DNA. You can't transcend God's creation. I don't care how hard you try. The transgender movement in this country, if there's a movement in this country that is demonic, and that is full of anti- the spirit of Antichrist. It is the transgender movement. It's time for grown-ups and time for Christians to start standing up and being unafraid to tell the truth. Come after me if you want to. I don't care. You want my head? Here it is right here. Come on, come get it. I don't care because it's time for us to stand up. And I'm not afraid to stand up and tell the truth about that issue. They're dragging our kids down into the pit of hell, trying to teach them that mess in our schools. Tell you like this, that ain't got no place at no school. Two plus two don't equal transgender. It equals four. We need to get back to teaching them how to read instead of teaching them how to go to hell.
Yeah, I said it and I mean it. And that's what happened while we were away. Watching that clip again, something struck me uh, that I want to address here in just a moment. But first, um, if you like my glasses, I actually get uh, compliments on these glasses. I can't take any credit for them. I didn't make them, but I can tell you who did. Our friends over at Better Spectacles, uh, they did. These are those German-engineered Rodenstock uh, frames I've been telling you about uh, through Better Spectacles for uh, many a moon now. And it's how we can, those of us the, in the we that have problematic prescriptions, we don't have to stick to the dorky frames any longer. You can get the cool stuff like all the other cool kids do with their regular prescriptions. So if it's a problematic prescription or just a regular one, either way, they've got a great offer for you over at Better Spectacles. If you go to betterspectacles.com slash Steve to schedule a teleoptical appointment today, you won't have to leave your house to get access to some of the best trained opticians in the country. And you'll get 61% off your first order to get you started and free handcrafted rodent stock frames. They throw in those gorgeous German frames for free with 61% off when you go to betterspectacles.com slash Steve. Coming up in the overtime today, the United Kingdom has released what it is claiming will be its final stratified and transparent report on COVID-19 as it relates to outcomes based on whether you're jabbed or not. During the overtime today, we are going to go through that report with you at blazetv.com slash dace. It has some troubling data. So if you're not yet a Blaze TV subscriber and you would like to become one, just go to blazetv.com slash dace right now so that you can watch this and all of the other exclusive content we do for you at Blaze TV each and every day. Uh, For the rest of you that already subscribe, we will record it right after today's live program and then it will get uploaded later today for you to watch at blazetv.com slash dace. All right, let's get to what is in the rest of Aaron's montage. And watching that clip from, it's Mark Robinson, correct, Aaron? Uh, The LG in uh, in North Carolina. Watching that clip, two things occurred to me. One of them from life experience, and one of them was like, wow, that was staring me in the face this entire time. How did I miss it? When he said this statement, you can't transcend what God has done. You can't transcend what God has done. One of the common heresies is that God is not holy or set apart from his creation, but just a part of it. We're connected to him directly. That's the that's dualism, circle of life, pantheism, panentheism. It's got many different names and many different um, uh, you know, versions and variations, but that's essentially what it is saying. It's saying that God is not transcendent. God is the only thing and the only one who is transcendent is the truth. He's the only one that is transcendent. Nothing else is. And that's how you know that this is a demonic movement. It is attempting to take a term that applies only to God and rebrand it and rework it as applying to itself. We're trans. 
Oh, I know there's another meaning to that as a prefix. I understand. But that just makes it even craftier, if you know what I'm saying. Because there's other tra- there's other prefixes that mean those same things, right? Mm-hmm. But they also would not provide the spirit of the age an opportunity to take the root of a word that applies only to the character and person of God himself and distort it and warp it to apply to them. How'd we miss that this entire time? But listening to Lieutenant Governor Robinson, listening to that clip again here just a minute ago was like an epiphany. Oh, that's what we're doing here. Can you think of a being known for trying to co-opt the characteristics of God upon himself? I will ascend. I will be like the most high. Can you think of a of a being in the creation you should, you should known write, for doing that? You should write a book and make a movie about that guy. That would be fascinating if only we knew who that who that guy was, who that being was. Hmm. Here's the other thing watching that clip of Lieutenant Governor Robinson uh, from a life experience standpoint. And Coming off the 2016 election, I didn't know if we were professionally going to be successful successful enough to stay in this industry, and if, frankly, I had the energy in me enough to stay in this industry. So I, I wrote a book called Truth Bombs, and I wrote it just in case we completely flamed out and I had to go do something else for a living. That's absolutely why I wrote it. Uh, it our show's grown so much over the last couple of years that... Some of you may have never heard the backstory of this book or even even know about this book because it's pre the ex- explosive growth of this show. But I wrote this book with essentially a coward of the county theme. Promise me, son, not to do the things I've done. Walk away from trouble if you can. Don't. This is what I've seen working behind the scenes in politics at a rare level. And don't repeat these mistakes kind of my last will and testament before maybe I move on to a different career path, right? And that book is dedicated to one of the best friends I've ever made in my life and in this business, a black man named Jonathan Narciss, who died a few years ago. And uh, Jonathan once attempted to register a few thousand Blacks in Des Moines with the Polk County Republican Party. Now, when you talk about the outcome of city and local elections, a few thousand people, that's a huge swing. I mean, that's a, particularly if it comes from a demographic that is entirely belonging to your opponents and it swings all that way just to you, you're going to decide who's the mayor, who's on every city council seat. Every, every, every at-large city election would get swung with that kind of capacity. And the Polk County Republican Party didn't, at the time, didn't want anything to do with them. And it wasn't, they, he, he thought, and he thought that it was because they were racist. Wow, you get, Republicans really are racist. And then he, when he told me this story, he goes, that would have been actually better than the real reason why. I would have been more comforted by that, Okay. Um, no, it's because they didn't, they could win without them and they didn't really want to 
cater to their social conservative issues that they had in common. And they also didn't want to have new competition for, well, now, yeah, now we got a whole bunch more people that want to be, you know, run for this office or hold that post. And we can win without you folks, so we don't need you. There was a great documentary done about 10 years ago or so called Fear of a Black Republican. And it was done by a New Jersey Republican who had moved to a fairly mixed neighborhood in New Jersey and thought, wow, there's a lot of pretty socially conservative blacks in this neighborhood, man. We're going to we're going to make a dent. You know, we're living together. It's it's it, it, it's a neighborhood. Yeah, the Republican Party like wanted nothing to do with him. He, he found out the exact same thing. I remember interviewing him about it at the time. There has been an opportunity to make serious inroads with the black community this entire time. And I can speak from experience because I've done it. I've been a part of, of movements that did it. The problem is it's not going to be around any of the Washington think tank, fake con Inc., pseudo libertarian, because they're not even libertarians. People like Tom Woods, Ron Paul, those are libertarians. These are people who are just soulless technocrats who have adopted the term libertarian as a means of justifying taking a bunch of money from the Kochs to do nothing other than uh, let's let prisoners go free and have open borders and call that libertarianism. That's really what that's that's what that's a rebrand. But when we when when Bob Vanderplatz had his last gubernatorial campaign here in Iowa. He was the first Republican candidate endorsed by the Iowa, Nebraska, NAACP for governor ever. It never happened before. Never happened. And out of that relationship came the, only, the first and still only inner city Christian school here in our city, Joshua Christian Academy. Now, Bob's gubernatorial run came close, but he lost in the primary. But later that year, we used a lot of those same connections and a lot of that same organization for the success of of the effort that's still never been done or equaled in American history, throwing out Supreme Court justices by popular vote. I mean, a lot of the uh, Terry Branstead, Rhino governor, white suburbanites didn't want to support it. They, they thought, well, we just got to do whatever the judges say, but I'll support a constitutional convention, which is almost impossible to get passed. I'll support that. But we can't, you know, we can't, the judges are God. We got all kinds of black folks that weren't going to vote for a corporatist who can't stand him named Terry Branstead for governor, but they voted for us against the judges who thought they could redefine marriage. In the 2012 election, two years later, Mitt Romney lost in Minnesota and Maryland worse than the marriage amendments in those two states did. I think those were the last two states that we tried statewide marriage amendments, if I remember right. And they, and, and even though they lost... They way outperformed Mitt Romney in both of those states, which means what? All kinds of people that were never going to vote for Mitt Romney in those states went and voted for Barack Obama and marriage on the same day. How many of them do you think were white progressive suburbanites, hmm. do you think, Todd? It's a very yes. low number. Yeah, Maybe it doesn't actually exist on the numeric scale. The opportunity to reach into... Minority communities, particularly the black community, has been there all the time. Now, I'm not good at, let's not get nuts. I'm not talking about getting 30, 40% of the black vote. But certainly there's been an opportunity to get 10, 15, 20% of it, which would absolutely cripple the Democratic Party in any election of meaning in America. Republicans just haven't been 
and sincere in meaning to do that. Trying to reach minorities has all been, particularly blacks, has all been a cover for standing for nothing that you care about. So that people like Mitt Romney would be your champion and nominee. The guy who can't bring himself to vote for Judge Brown to a lesser post last year. But now that she's been nominated to the highest post in all the judicial branch, and now that we know she's soft on predators and she doesn't know what a woman is, now Mitt Romney can't wait to vote for her. Because he hates you. And he always has. And I have to protect, I have to guard my own spirit here. I have I took more more poop in my career from major, major names with big followings and big blue check marks who appear on a and even host shows on Fox News. I took a lot of grief. Had a lot of attempts to get me canned, fired, to stop my career before it ever got out of Des Moines, Iowa for telling the truth about that guy. So I got to guard my own spirit because, man, do I just want to laugh and name all your names and say, I told you so. But I'll just say, I told you so since 2007. I've been right about that guy. Now go back to 2012. Imagine he had won. Everything that we've, we have been able to do as an insurgency against the GOP establishment that Trump was a part of and largely took advantage of, none of that ever happens, does it? None of it does. None of it does. This guy's not any different. This is what he was as governor of Massachusetts, is what he is as senator of Utah. He lied to you for about three to six months running for president a couple of times. His record says otherwise. Gee, I, I, don't, I can't understand why black America is just not interested in a rich white guy who has no public morality at all. I, I'm just, are you shocked? The only people shocked by this have, have like no black friends, have never spent any time around anybody other than who thinks like them. You exist in your own bubble. It's the chicken sandwich principle. Yes. Mitt Romney, as Mike Huckabee once famously and accurately uh, described, looks and sounds like every guy who's ever fired you in your life. Throw in the fact that he has, from a value standpoint, nothing in common with any of those black folks in that church right there. Nothing. I'm not surprised. But he was never really serious about it. And Republicans as a party nationally haven't been serious about it this entire time. You could have had guys like Mark Robinson, especially in the red states. You could have had black men like Mark Robinson for statewide offices for many, 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 many years. That opportunity's always been there. But the Republican Party loves your votes, hates your values. And I can promise you there are many more Republicans that would love to vote for Judge Jackson. They just don't think, hey, my name's Romney, I'm a Mormon, I'm in Utah, there's literally nothing I can do 
I'm Donald Trump here. I could I could murder someone in downtown Salt Lake and there's nothing I could do to lose. What's your face out there in Alaska already lost a primary, then just stole the election after the primary via a mail-in, a write-in campaign. So there's a few that think that they're basically impervious to you, invulnerable. There's a there's I can promise you there are many more that would love to vote for Judge Jackson and tell you and the horse you rode in on, they just don't feel as politically invulnerable as a few of these people do. So they lie. Which brings us to Ron DeSantis. If you don't, you know, I said a couple of years ago, leading up to voter fraud and the stealing of the election, that there is a margin for cheating. Remember, we had these preemptive conversations. Mm-hmm. It, it's not, a, you can't just erase a five-point loss. There's, there's things you can't do. That's why they needed a polling narrative to show they were way ahead. And look at, look at and we're going to get into this more here if our guest shows up at the bottom of the hour. Look at how much heat it took to move a point here or a point there in places where they have total control of the process, right? Right. You can't move four or five points in a statewide election in places like Pennsylvania and Georgia and Michigan. You can't do it. So there is a margin. You, so you, a Republican can win outside the margin of cheating. And if you've not worked in politics and the nuts and bolts of it, I don't know that you can truly appreciate. Aaron, can you, do you have those Florida numbers? Can you put those back up there for a second? If you've not worked in politics, I don't know that you can appreciate how remarkable this is. It's one of the most remarkable trend lines I've seen. Now, the thing to to note more than anything is when it starts, October of 2020. Because by October of 2020 now, Florida has become, uh, it is surpassed in the minds of the public. Georgia, which had reopened early, Iowa, Nebraska, it was now the epicenter. It was considered the alternative to the COVID stand narrative in the in the minds of the public by October of 2020. It was beginning to host basically every meaningful sporting event and everything else in the country about this time. It was Ron DeSantis versus COVID stand by this time. And so October of 2020, Republicans face 134,000 and change registration deficit in Florida. Remember, guys, Ron DeSantis didn't win this with a bunch of coattails. He won by fewer than 40,000 votes. And Floridians, think about this. They almost voted for a man who literally did cocaine off a gay hooker's ass. Literally. That literally is not a line. Literally, that occurred. So DeSantis has no mandate, has no coattails. He's a huge upset winner. Quinnipiac had him losing by seven points. Even as recently as October of 2020, 134,000 and change voter registration advantage for Democrats. To put that in perspective, folks, that is more than three times Ron DeSantis's margin of victory in 2018. More than three times. Look at what these Republicans do. They come in with, you know, nine seat swings in the Senate and 50 seat gains in the House. And they're like, well, we can't really do anything. We don't have the votes. We can't shut the government down. Ron DeSantis comes in barely winning. Goes to the mattresses on everything. Everything. And now look at what's changed. Republicans have an over 103,000 party registration 
advantage in the state. That is a 176% swing. 176% swing in what? 15 months? 16 months? I've never seen anything like it. Maybe, maybe, maybe if you were in a small population state like a Montana or Idaho or an Iowa and you captured the imagination of enough people, you could pull this off. This is a state of 20 plus million people, third largest population in the country. Probably more money has been spent in that state politically by both parties than any other state in the country in the last half a century. Because over the last 40 years, the average margin of victory in a presidential election is two and a half points. That is an incredible, remarkable swing. Frankly, it's a political science class. It's also for Team GOP, a leadership class. But it's, it's one I promise you they will play hooky from and ignore and have no interest in. By all means... Go vote out every Democrat you can in November. I'm not here to stop you. In fact, I'm probably here to encourage you to do that. But do not fall for the binary fallacy. Do not think that means what you're putting in there is the hero. You're going to have to be the hero of the story. You're going to have to find, you're going to have to force the action. You're going to have to do it. Don't trust them on any level as a party whatsoever. You know, trying to sell your home in any economic environment, regardless of what Jennifer Rubin claims, can be incredibly challenging, but especially in these inflationary, unprecedented times. Bing. Make sure more than ever you have a real estate agent that you can rely on, you can depend on, someone who comes in to take charge of your situation, but remembers ultimately, hey, you're the one that's in charge. They're working for you, and they also have a fully vetted and verified track record of success that you can trust to see you through to the end, whether you're buying and selling or buying and selling. Uh, and you can find one where, well, the name kind of says it all, realestateagentsitrust.com. Uh, it actually began as a grassroots movement connecting trustworthy real estate agents with members of the audience we have here at blaze uh, tv and it just kind of grew and mushroomed into a business from there so just about anywhere that you want to move to or from we can help you uh find an agent that you're looking for over at realestateagentsitrust.com again head over there now at realestateagentsitrust.com well, it's been a few years since I've had a chance to talk to John R. Lott Jr., but uh, he is, uh, over the course of my career, one of the most detailed and thorough and impressive researchers I've had the chance to interview on this program in the past. He joins us now here on the show. And uh, John, it's been a while. Good to reconnect with you. How are you? Doing great. Uh, good to talk to you. Thanks for having me on. So you've got a piece that uh, caught a lot of people's attention, mine included, that was published over at Real Clear Politics just a few days ago, or I think it was last week, about uh, some peer peer-reviewed research that you have uh, on the on the 2020 election and the sh- whether there was chicanery, whether there was fraud, was it stolen, all the controversies around that election. Can you give us sort of what is the the meta bottom line of what you have found, John, and we'll go from there. 
Sure. Well, let me first of all state, I'm not trying to relitigate the 2020 election. To me, the issue is integrity of the process and making sure that we don't have these types of problems that occur in the future, if in fact problems have occurred in the past. Uh, I was trying to measure the amount of the problem that might exist because yeah, I don't know how many people have actually read the court cases, but the court cases went pretty much like this. Republicans would go in, say that laws were violated with regard to how the election was run. The judges would say, yeah, okay, there were a lot of irregularities, but can you show us that there was enough fraud to go and change the outcome of the elections? Uh, the Republicans would come back and they said, well, we were excluded from watching the vote counts and getting all the information we need, so we need to have discovery. And the judges would say, we're not going to go and grant you discovery until you can show us up front that there was enough evidence to a fraud that would change the outcome of the election. And so the Republicans were kind of caught in a catch-22. And at the time, I was working in the U.S. Department of Justice. And uh, given my background, because I've I've written several dozen peer-reviewed academic papers over the decades. I may be best known for my work on guns, but most of my academic research is actually on voting and vote fraud and voting machines, uh, and this goes back several decades. I was, uh, you know, back in 2000, I was a st statistical expert for USA Today in their election work. I was, uh, I wrote the a statistical appendix for the U.S. Civil Rights Commission on the 2000 election. So I've done a lot of work on this. And so my goal was to try to find some measures uh, to deal with this catch-22 that the courts were raising. And, uh, and I provided three tests. Um, my best estimate is that there were at least 255,000 uh, extra votes that Biden got in six swing states, uh, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, Arizona, Nevada, uh, and possibly uh, in, you know, well over 368,000 or so. And, um, uh, and so there are three tests that I have. I can go through them uh, quickly if you want me to. Absolutely. Okay, okay so... Uh, the thing is, there's some counties where fraud was alleged, and they're right next to other counties where there wasn't fraud alleged with regard to the mail-in absentee ballots. It's a little hard to go and compare whole counties in that respect because these counties vary a lot. So if you have Allegheny County, where Pittsburgh is, uh, next to Westmoreland County uh, in Pennsylvania, uh, those are fairly different counties on average, or Fulton County and Cherokee County in Georgia. Fulton County is where uh, Atlanta is. Um, but uh, what you can do is you can look at precincts. In Allegheny County, for example, there are 1,323 precincts. So, you know, you're talking about a county. These are small areas, very homogeneous. And, and look across the street in the county where there was no allegation of fraud to another equally small area usually, uh, what you find is that they tend to be very similar in terms of voter registration, in terms of how people vote, uh, in terms of demographics. You know, you can walk across the street, 
between these two precincts on either side of the county line, and you probably would rarely know that you've moved from one county to another. And in fact, if you look at the 2016 election, uh, these adjacent precincts uh, tended to be within like a percentage point or so in terms of how they voted in the in-person votes and in terms of the absentee votes. The one other thing to mention is that uh, the the uh, in-person votes are counted at the precinct level and the mail-in ballots or the absentee ballots are counted at the central county office. And um, uh, what you find is that while things match up really well in terms of, uh, of the uh, uh, 2016 election votes, uh, when you look at 2020, uh, the in-person ballots still match up well, very closely. Uh, but as soon as you walk across the street, you find evidence. It's not always statistically significant, but you find consistent evidence that there is a big increase in absentee ballot votes for, for Biden. Some other, uh, the second test I looked at, look at this, and one comment I should make, is if you're talking about things like, um, uh, you know, get out the vote efforts, the concern was winning statewide elections here. And you would concentrate, the parties uh, concentrated on trying to get uh, certain types of people. Democrats mm -hmm. want to get Democrats. They may get black Democrats or some other type of group to to have their get out the vote effort aimed at. But but if you have two essentially identical uh, politically and demographically precincts across the street from each other, it's not obvious why walking across the street you're going to go and put an effort into getting the voter turnout or. Or you could say certain types of voters were more motivated. Certain types of Democrats were more motivated than Republicans to go and engage in mail-in ballot, and that's fine. But that should affect both of these precincts uh, equally. The second thing I looked at was provisional ballots, and the results there were very strong. Um, what you, the allegations in, in Pennsylvania was that there were certain counties, Demo heavily Democratic counties, that when somebody improperly filled out uh, their mail-in ballot, uh, it couldn't be counted. But what would happen is, is that the allegation is, is that the Democratic counties would call up Democrats who had voted mm -hmm. and give them a chance to go and fix the mistake with a provisional ballot. And so uh, what you find is that when you compare these two precincts across the street from each other, one where there was an allegation that there was this improper, because it was against the state law, and that's the reason why none of the Republican counties in the state are being accused of doing this. Uh, you know, you walk across the street and you find a big increase in the number of provisional ballots, and you find a big increase in provisional ballot votes for Biden, that uh, if you look at the estimate for both Allegheny and Philadelphia counties, for just two counties, for just provisional ballots, you find almost 7,000 more votes for Biden mm. uh, arriving there. And then finally, the, the third test is I looked at uh, the nine swing states that were uh, 
uh, th thought to be close before the election, where both parties were spending significant effort uh, in order to win. And look at the voter turnout. And what you find is that uh, more heavily Democratic counties actually had slightly lower turnout in 2020 than they had in 2016. More heavily Republican counties had much higher turnouts. But the one exception for the Democratic counties is while you see either no difference between 2016 and 2020 or actually a slight fall, what you find is that the the counties where fraud was alleged, you see huge increases Imagine in, that. in turnout, 25, 30% increases. And hmm. so, so you can compare, you know, you have like Franklin County where uh, Columbus is in Ohio, or the counties where Cleveland or Cincinnati uh, or Mecklenburg in North Carolina or whatever, uh, you don't see increases in those places, but in other counties, in other swing states where fraud was alleged, like uh, Fulton County or in uh, Allegheny or Philadelphia counties or in Wayne County, for example, you saw big increases there. And, you know, if you have ineligible people voting or if you have vote buying or if you have other type of, you know, um, ballots that are being added in or ballots being counted multiple times or whatever, uh, those would all work to increase uh, the voter turnout that you have there. So those are three types of evidence uh, that I have in, uh, in the paper. Uh, generally, the beginning of the paper, uh, and people can go and get a copy of the paper by going to our website at crimeresearch.org. The paper is forthcoming in a journal, but it hasn't been published yet, but they can get uh, the version of the paper that will be available. And uh, the first part of the paper goes through and talks about how the U.S.'s voting rules compare to that in other countries. Um, we're a real outlier. Uh, you know, if, if concerns about fraud are a delusion, then it's a delusion shared by the entire rest of the world just about. So I'll give you an example of some of the stuff I go through in the research there. There, there are 47 countries in Europe. 46 and a half of them require government-issued photo IDs for people to be able to go and vote. Uh, the one exception is part of the United Kingdom, uh, but even now they have legislation that Boris Johnson's government is putting through, and it looks like since they control the government there, it's going to pass. And so pretty soon even they will be similar to the rest of the continent. So all entirely 47 countries will have government-issued voter IDs. Mm. photo IDs. You look at absentee ballots, 35 of the 47 countries in Europe ban absentee ballots uh, for people living in their country. And that completely ban them because of concerns about vote fraud and mm. vote buying. Uh, another 10 countries allow absentee ballots, but they will not send them to you in the mail because of concerns that they could be stolen if they go through the mail. You have to go yourself and pick them up, and you have to show your government-issued photo ID to be able to go and pick them up, because they want to make sure that the person who's being given the ballot is the person who's supposed to be doing the voting. Uh, and on top of that, six of those 10 countries require 
that you have to be either in the military or in the hospital. So it's very limited on who qualifies. And uh, even then, they don't take your word for it that you're in the military or going to be in the hospital at the time of the election. You have to provide uh, third-party verification from either the military or the hospital before they'll do that. Um, and it's not just Europe. This is pretty much what you see in, right. in developed countries around the world. I mean, right. you look at Canada and Mexico. Um, and I'll just mention one other rule quickly, and that is— uh, you know, we've had this debate over this last year or so about these ballot boxes uh, being left out unattended. I cannot find another country in the world that doesn't have very strict chain of custody regulations with regard to ballot boxes. You know, when the Democrats in the Texas State House walked out and went to Washington, D.C. and other countries to try to keep a vote from occurring, the issue that they were upset about was that the Republican bill proposed that ballot boxes could only be left out between 6 a.m. and 10 p.m. at night, and that uh, they had to be monitored. Uh, again, I can't find another country in the world that doesn't have strict chain of custody rules with regard to ballot boxes. And the reason why they do that is they want to make sure they know who is putting the, the ballots in right. the box. right. John, that answer in my entire career here in broadcasting, that might be the single greatest answer to a question I have ever received. I mean, that was a tour de force. You answered any follow-up question I would have. I have less than a minute left. That was incredible. Okay, sorry. No, no, no. Don't be sorry. That The audience, I'm sure, is like, I, I wish we could do more. I've got less than a minute. Let me ask you this. If I could ask you to sum up what, the best description of the 2020 election in one word, what one word would you use? One word. Well, maybe I can give you a sentence. Uh, I'm too much of an academic, I guess. But the, <laughs> but uh, what I would say is that I strongly believe that if the election rules in 2020 were the same as they were in 2016, uh, Trump would have won the election. He would have. He would have clearly won the election. One more time. Where can people get the paper? Uh, they can go to our website at crimeresearch.org, crimeresearch.org. It's right at the top of the page there, and they can they can download a copy of it. Uh, that was incredible, John. And this is incredible research. Um, and uh, thank you for joining us here on the show and sharing it with our audience. All right, God bless you. Take care. All right, thank you very much. You bet. We're going to have some reaction to that before we kick off fake news or not next hour. We have to have some reaction to what he just said. And there's one, one quantifier of his data that I want to share with you as well about how this may or may not have changed outcomes when we come back. Back with Hour 2, live and on demand here on Blaze TV, radio, and podcast. Steve Dace here with Totters and Aaron McIntyre. All of you, don't forget you can email us. Steve at SteveDace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E. Like us on Facebook. Uh, look for Steve Dace on Facebook, MeWe Parlor, and Gab. You can also follow me on Twitter and Getter at Steve Dace Show. And then you can get clips of the show free of censorship, free to watch when you go to rumble.com slash Steve Dace Show as well. 
That's rumble.com slash Steve Dace show. Uh, this portion of, oh, forgot. If you're a podcast listener, thank you so much. Uh, we appreciate you. You are maybe the biggest subset of uh, audience we have. You're certainly among them. Please, if you've yet to do so, leave us a five-star review. Hit the subscribe, follow button on your podcast platform of choice. It helps our show. And we want to thank the thousands of you that have done those things to help our show already, each and every one of you. Thank you. You know, when it comes to financial advice, uh, particularly when it comes to financing, have you tried the three-week rule from our friends over at ScoreMaster? Because whether it's a refi, it's a home mortgage, it's an auto loan, a business loan, they would urge you to, you know, this isn't like the last couple of years, just wait two weeks. Because the average ScoreMaster user uh, can raise their score up to 60 points in three weeks with the information that they empower you with. It's your information. You can get your credit score from a lot of the credit card companies on their apps and stuff nowadays for a long time. They didn't want to share that with you. Now they'll give you that, but will they walk you through exactly why you have that score so that you know, hey, that's not real. That's not legit. I paid that off. I want to confront that. And then furthermore, can they help chart a path for you to get to the score that you want. I know ScoreMaster can do this. They helped me with my home refi last fall to help us get an obscenely low interest rate, which is why I would urge you to take a few minutes and see if they can't help you. See how many plus points that you could add to your credit score. It makes a big difference, not just to, in, if you can get approved, but what the terms of your approval will be. All right, so go to scoremaster.com slash Steve to learn more in just minutes over at scoremaster.com slash Steve. Coming up at the bottom of the hour when we get into Pop Culture Tuesday, there's been a lot of talk about Disney and grooming. So I made, I made a decision the other night to watch a Disney movie that came out last year uh, that I did not get a chance to see uh, and was based on one of my favorite Disney rides when I was a kid called Jungle Cruise. And it also starred um, America's most bankable star right now, The Rock, and also uh, one of its hottest women, Emily Blunt. So for that other reason, I finally twisted my own arm and watched. Because I would, I would listen to that woman literally just read a phone book aloud. So this movie supposedly had a gay character in it, her brother. And I was curious, is this like the gay character in the um, the Beauty and the Beast live action where it's there to, so they can claim some intersect. Well, we used to call it intersectionality, a rainbow jihad back then, now woke street cred, but it's really not something of indoctrination. Or is it the latter? And I'm pretty sure what I watched was the latter, that this was a straight up groom. And I will explain. Have you seen the movie yet? I have. You have? Do you know what I'm talking about, maybe? The scene well, where him and the rock sit down together on the shore and he starts telling his background. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, I want to get into that. It's been that. a while since I've seen it. All right. So I just watched it like two nights ago. I, I want to get into this for Pop Culture Tuesday at the bottom of the hour because I thought this was just, it's completely unnecessary to the entire film. Okay. This was just, I thought, straight up in your face level grooming. Mm -hmm. All right. So we'll get to that here at the bottom of the hour, but let's get to fake news or not. And we just would not be doing our jobs, man. All right, we, we've, we've, we definitely want to get to, in a bit, what we originally had planned for this segment, but we would not be doing our jobs if we did not use at least a good chunk of this time to address the truth bomb that John R. Lott, the researcher, just dropped on us about his research into the 
2020 election. And I will confess, you know, let's not be fake news ourselves. I have a bit of a bias here. And it's not just like the majority of Americans. I think the last election was stolen. It's the way that I believe it was stolen. What he articulated is what I believe has a is what I believe occurred here. It doesn't mean I don't I, I think that, you know, the Dominion Company is, is you know, um, from their lips to God's ears. Uh, I just think I don't need a fantastical narrative like hacked voting machines, you know, that are a movie plot doesn't mean they wouldn't be true. I mean, how we've lived through a lot of things that we thought were just movie plots when we were kids that have proven to be reality the last few years. Amen to that. Mm-hmm. All right. So doesn't mean none of it just me. I also have no wherewithal of proving that that's a transnational. There's that word again, company. It's a global company. I, I mean, what it would take to prove that in emphatically intrinsically is beyond my scope, but I do know data. And I know how elections work. That's my area. One of my area of expertise. I don't need, I don't need to unearth the flowchart of arguably the greatest conspiracy in the history of um, small D democratic voting on the third rock from the sun to prove to you that this election was stolen. And I've gone through this data so many times, too many irregularities, too many incongruencies. See what I liked. Let me, so let me start there. What I liked when Lot said he didn't compare counties to counties, but precincts to precincts, because he's also looking for congruencies. The first tip that I had on election night, something was not on the up and up, was that county, and I can't remember it now, that county in Michigan, and we're live on the air on Blaze, and there was that county in Michigan that Trump had won overwhelmingly, and now you're telling me that Biden has won demographics of that county has not changed. Now you're telling me he's won it by almost the same margin Trump won it four years ago. There's been that kind of swing in that kind of a county with those kind of demographics. I need to see that play itself. So therefore, Biden should be winning the state of Michigan by an incredibly wide margin. That's what we mean by incongruencies. The numbers have to add up. They have to tell a story. That is that is traceable. Otherwise, your data is fallacious. It's 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 fraudulent. That's why. Hey, hint. We just had the national championship game last night, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, I've interviewed up teen college basketball coaches in my career. And if you if you the post game radio show with your favorite college basketball team, the coach is always holding a sheet of paper in his hand when he does that interview. What is it? The box score. Why? But because because he knows his tra- he craft, he knows his trade, he can look at the data and tell you in about one three-minute clip what happened in the game. So it's not just anecdotally what he thought was going on coaching through the game, but he can quantify it now statistically because the data is in front of him. And the best coaches can just look at that man and just, they know, in minutes. They can, they can give you the narrative of what the outcome of this game was by looking at the data. The data tells the story. All right. But the play is the thing in which you catch the conscience of the king. That's where the skullduggery is when the data doesn't add up and the data in this election didn't add up the entire time. I'm not going to go through all of it all over again, but there are just some things that just cannot be true. It cannot be true. That Trump overperformed more than any modern Republican in brown and black votes received, as he did in 2020. 
yet he yet he lost these massive urban areas that John Lott is talking about by incredulous, redonkulous numbers. Because where do most of those same black and brown folks live? In those areas. It's just not possible. Voting data is not a dynamic process. Well, it is if you're trying to fudge the numbers. Humans are dynamic. And so we can dynamically impact the numbers. But data is a constant. It's not dynamic. It's a constant. That's why I love the fact he looked at similar performing precincts. Because why then were there certain outliers in certain places? And the thing that he said there at the end, guys, we just so happen to have, isn't this what I said after the last election? It just so happened to be that in about a half a dozen counties where they had complete and total, unmitigated, unfiltered, unsupervised control from determining what a vote is, who gets to vote, when the vote takes place, how long it takes place, and who gets to count it, right? Mm -hmm. That's complete and total, unchallenged control. It just so happens that in those half dozen counties in the states that they needed to flip or hold, they produced in those counties with that level of of coercive control over the process, the amount of votes they needed to quote-unquote win. Because it doesn't add up. I brought up your home state of Wisconsin. Why was it just Milwaukee County? Why was it Doan County? Where, where were the 4 a.m. drop-offs? And, and, and is I think Brown, is that another one of the large counties in your state, I want to say? Yeah. Or is it Okay. Where were the... Why was it... Just It just so happens that... The people in Milwaukee County are uniquely dumb and don't know how to submit a postage stamp on time. Why was it in Doan and Brown counties that they weren't doing this? How come we just saw that there? And on and on and on, we could do this exercise. To quantify this, let me pull you out. Let me pull out a nugget from John's data. In Fulton County, Georgia, so he gave you this three-pronged lemon test that he was looking for. All right. He gave you the three factors in his personal lemon test of does it pass the smell test, okay? He applied his lemon test to uh, Fulton County, Georgia, where Atlanta is located. And this test yielded an unexplained 17,000 votes. To put that in perspective, that is 32% more than Biden's total statewide margin for victory in that state just from that county alone. There were irregularities next door in Cobb County. What happens when you add that in? Just in that county alone. And then what he said at the beginning, folks, that what happened is Republican attorneys would go into court claiming there was voter fraud. You know what? I'm going to tell you this tale in another context. A county attorney goes into a criminal court wanting to arraign a defendant for murder. And you present prima facie evidence that a murder has been committed and that the suspect that you have in custody is guilty of it, meaning basic evidence of malfeasance by the term prima facie. And the judge looks at you and says, Was this a good person that got murdered? Was it an important person that got murdered? 
Was it enough people to really, did this, did your suspect murder enough people to really make that big of a difference in this community? See where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. That's how, how ridiculous would that be? What would the, what kind of response would that generate? Now, maybe in our culture today, we're not so sure. So, all right, because I know Todd is broken. Let me rephrase my question, Your Honor. What kind of response should such nefarious behavior from a judge produce? Uh, Ire, frustration. Yeah, just uh, over my dead body. Yes, Uh, peasant storming Bastille kind of behavior. That's what went on here. Remember when we were kids? Well, you don't have the experience to get this job. Okay. Well, how do I get experience? You don't hire me for a job. Well, come back when you have more experience. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm right. saying? So here's what here's what happened. Here's our prima facie evidence of irregularities. We can prove there was means, motive, and opportunity for a crime to be committed. There was means. They had total control over the process. They shut us out. We could not send our own vote counters in. One of my best friends was one of the was was in the bit was in the people the Trump campaign sent to Philadelphia to monitor the vote. They literally were thrown out and the windows were boarded up and they weren't allowed to watch. He's texting and calling me in real time while this is going on in Philly. All right. So they've got the means to pull it off. Right? They they did it. This happened in several counties where they have control. Did they have a motivation? Sure. Oh, come on. Okay. So now that they have the opportunity, well, yeah, it's called an election. So you click those three boxes. You check those three boxes. You've got prima facie evidence. And the response is from the judges. Well, can you prove that it would have altered the outcome? So is that first of all, that implies there's an acceptable amount of voter fraud, provided it just doesn't. It doesn't. So, so it's not, the premise isn't about a secure election. It's about the outcome of the election. Once you give up that premise, the outcome doesn't matter at that point. It's, it's fixed at that point anyway. If, if the premise isn't to make sure that we have safe and secure elections in a court of law, then we don't have safe and secure elections. But there's no way that I could prove if the outcome was altered unless you grant me standing here for discovery because of the prima facie evidence I have submitted, that means motive and opportunity, those three boxes are checked, you grant me now standing to get discovery to see what the scope of it is. I can't answer your question. It might not be, it might just be that criminal behavior was done here that should be held accountable, but nothing that did alter the outcome of an election. But if we don't punish it this time, next time they will do something that will alter the outcome of an election, right? What's utterly bizarre is their premise basically says that innocent until proven guilty is doesn't exist because you need to prove guilt like out of the gate, it, which ultimately correct. will is how you railroad people. That's correct. That's a that's a star chamber. That's exactly right. Yeah. And that's and that was the evidence threshold that was submitted in several of these attempted actions. That's what John is talking about. Gentlemen, your thoughts. I have a couple thoughts. Yesterday and today, we have talked about Ron DeSantis and uh, a, uh, a political science clinic, as Steve, as Steve said, something he's never seen in his long career at analyzing data, the turnaround there. But remember what I said yesterday about this. This is, it's, th- this is a... A political miracle of sorts. The thing that you bet it all on black when you go to Vegas on the next presidential election. And it won't happen because of Donald Trump. And 
yesterday, the context we presented that that's frustrating. But when we talk about this, we know why that this this is exactly why, because a man, no matter what you think of him, very likely was screwed at this level, which means the 70 people that million people that voted for him. Yeah. Even more importantly, were all screwed. too. So as good as Ron DeSantis is, that's not something they can put down. They want to put down. I don't blame them for that at all. So here we are. So that's one thing. Number two. Um, th- this is utterly, you combine this with everything COVID, with everything uh, trans. We live in a banana republic, bottom line. And one of the reasons we do, and you, when a guy like John Lott is not a household name, uh, we, don't, we don't have anything resembling a legitimate media. The fact that this guy is not being talked to he, he he has we didn't know i mean steve's known about him because of his past history i never heard about him until steve asked me to get on the show everybody should know about him like woodward and birdstein the fact that we don't is just another testimony that our press is a pure propaganda machine i want to make something abundantly clear uh, people have come at me and gotten their absolute panties in a wad Because I don't think investigating Dominion is necessarily, and I don't know, maybe you guys agree, investigating Dominion is is necessarily a a worthwhile use of our time and resources. And that's what we're talking about here is why I don't believe that. This is where, this is is the uh, beta or maybe the foundation of the fraud. Once it gets to the voting machines, guys, that is cyberspace. That is all in digital. It's almost impossible. Once it gets into the tabulation machines, if there were changes, it is almost impossible. And yes, you're going to come at me. Oh, look, this, I cannot verify any of that by myself. God bless the people who have tried to do that. This is what I'm talking about right here. This is the prima facie evidence, the ballot drop box, uh, and the lack of the chain of custody. That's where the fraud took place. If there was fraud, there was fraud. Guys, what we're talking about here, and I know you know this already, and it's easy, it's amazing, it's amazing that we could get distracted from anything else. What we're talking about here is fraud on top of fraud on top of fraud. The fraud of coronavirus allowed them to perpetuate and perpetrate, I should say, this fraud that we're talking about right now. As much, if it weren't, if it weren't the people's lives were lost, were killed because of the lies spawned out of coronavirus, I would say the people responsible responsible for perpetrating this fraud that we're talking about deserve the same gallows or prison time for that other one. This is this is an incredibly an incredibly dark period. Mm-hmm. This what we have witnessed the last two years now not just with coronavirus but with this one as well what we're talking the subject at hand here 
this is what happens. You wonder what a Romans 1 judgment looks like. God's good grace is the only thing standing between us and unrestrained evil. And it's still grace. It's his good grace that we wake up and we get to breathe fresh air or air at all every morning. But when you want to know what a Romans 1 style judgment looks at a mass societal scale, it's God's hand unrestraining evil. And I shudder to think. I shudder to think, but I want to talk about the difference between total depravity and utter depravity. It can always get worse. These types of problems, these types of, of, of actions perpetrated against others to defraud others. And we're not talking about a few. We're talking about 70 million people, potentially. Even more when it comes to COVID. These types of actions, yes, they can be patched but they're never going to be fixed absent revival. You talk about systemic evil. You're staring it at the face. How many more examples do we need to wake up? I don't know that we have time to do justice to the other thing I wanted to get to this week, and I think it would be trite to make that switch. So I have something else I want to say about this issue here in a moment. First, though, let me tell you about our friends over at Built Bar. Uh, they are the absolute greatest protein bar of all time. If you've never tried them before, you are missing out. Uh, it's it, there. So many of their flavors are as good, if not better, than a lot of the candy bars out there. But unlike them, uh, they're much lower in calories, much lower in sugar, carbs, uh, and much higher in protein, uh, nutrition, all covered in real chocolate. You cannot beat it. So many great flavors to choose from if you're into chocolate peanut butter, chocolate chocolate, chocolate mint, white chocolate. If you like chocolate-covered marshmallow candies, particularly popular this time of year with Easter around the corner, they've got their puff line for you. Anything that you're looking for, if you're like me and you've got a sweet tooth and you're like, how do I indulge without indulging? Uh, our friends at Built Bar have the answer and getting you the protein you need when you use my last name, Dace, as your promo code, D-E-A-C-E, to save 15% off your order when you go to BuiltBar.com. I'm sorry, Built.com for Built Bar. When you go to Built.com, B-U-I-L-T, Built.com for Built Bar, get 15% off with my last name, Dace, as your promo code. It is the greatest protein bar of all time with no close second. Built.com, promo code DACE. Aaron, let's save that graphic for next week's fake news or not, okay? Is, is it an exaggeration? Because at least, the, at least the virus was real. The virus is real. Is it an exaggeration that the fakest news I've covered in my career is this last election? Is that the fakest news? I've been doing this full time since 2000, the summer of 2006. So it'll be 16 years here this summer. In my career, I mean, this is, this is a high bar to clear, man. We're talking systemic levels of deception that we deal with every day now, right? This last election, 
I think it's the fakest news I've ever covered. Is that going too far? No, because especially when you consider you attach it to uh, January 6th, which is crucial. Mm. Because I think the other side is all very well aware, and maybe about my point, that sooner or later, John Lott comes out. And it becomes all too obvious. So how do you make sure that doesn't happen? Or if it does, it sounds like uh, hysterics. It's because you attach January 6th to that election as see now these are these are start the hashtag john r lot didn't kill himself is that what you're telling me these are crazy these are crazy people this is the kind of person that would uh storm the capitol and are insurrectionists and we will not even entertain anything they have to say i don't this is why uh julie kelly and her work and us having her on is so important in many respects January 6th absolutely needed to happen to make sure the likes of John Lott never saw the light of day. That corollary that you just drew is vitally important to put those two things together because we really are talking about a chain of events here. Mm -hmm. And Aaron, if you even go back to before the voting began, what we know now about Hunter Biden's laptop, the squashing of that story, remember, when the New York Post brought that out in October of, uh, of, of 2020, and the banning and the censoring of that uh, in order to stop that. Tony, was it Bobolinsky? Was that the gentleman that hmm. uh, was their point person sure. on the dealings that Hunter Biden's laptop uncovered? So just as Todd came up with, uh, you know, um, a, a you know an epilogue corollary outcome as a result of this election, the fraud that didn't even begin with the, the the voting and the counting of the voting itself. This was this was ongoing in terms of what news was hidden from the public in order to generate the desired result. Sometime, I I keep forgetting about this story. I'm looking at it right here. Time Magazine, the secret bipartisan effort. I'd forgotten about this. Yeah. To secure. This is what this is when the elites did there. If I did it. Exactly. Okay. The secret bipartisan campaign to save the 2020 election. And that is what it is. It literally outlines. This is what we did. This is how we stole or altered or committed fraud um, for for the election. That was published February 4th, 2021. And if I would have remembered back on February 4th, 2022, I would have maybe just read that entire piece for the montage because that's they literally just say yeah no we 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 did it we did it um so again don't let this go don't get the, don't get distracted don't let this go um i i'm unaware with limited exception exceptions of legal efforts being successful um, especially when you think about Sidney Powell and, and some of those uh, early figures. Don't let this go. If anybody tries to tell you, whether it's your elected leaders, leaders, I use those words in air quotes, um, or anyone else, that there was not fraud. Dude, um, the onus is on them. The onus is on them to actually prove that. And if they have not done it satisfactorily, that's a them problem, not a you problem. Not a you problem. That's their job. They work for you, whether or not they've got an R or a D after their name. But especially, I would say, if they've got an R after their name. Never let somebody cajole you or shame you. 
about this? This is just demonic stuff, man. Is what it is. I know I'm, I'm using that word a lot these days, but maybe not enough. Maybe I, I, I don't know how else to describe these sorts of things. I, I, it's not that we are spiritually incapable of such evil as a species. It's, I, I don't think that we're capably capable, meaning we can pull things like this off completely on our own. We're not that cunning. We're not that crafty. The history of our species indicates that, right? This is just demonic stuff. And so is, I believe, what we're going to talk about here next with Pop Culture Tuesday. Make sure you are ready the next time. That could never happen here. Happens here. Again, they're already telling us food shortages could be on the way. Make sure you've got peace of mind with our friends over at My Patriot Supply. They are the nation's largest self-reliance company specializing in long-term emergency food storage. The food stays good for up to 25 years with proper storage. Uh, You can find many different sizes of emergency food kits that will fit you and or your family's needs, each packed with a wide variety of delicious foods and meals, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, even drinks, 2,000 plus calories a day to make sure that if it goes down or the supply chain at your grocery store goes down, you're still up and going. You're still prepared. And right now, uh, all kits are are in stock, ship quickly, uh, and you can get free shipping discreetly in unmarked boxes. We won't send the uh, chartreuse doom pepper van unless you man, maybe you can specifically ask for that. Do we have an offer code for that? Hey, I want the chartreuse doom pepper van in my driveway. I want my neighbors to see. Maybe that should be our next campaign. Uh, but uh, mypatriotsupply.com is where you can go right now. Free shipping at mypatriotsupply.com or if it's easier, Preparewithdace.com. Preparewithdace.com is where you can go for free shipping. Preparewithdace.com. All right. um, I want to get to Pop Culture Tuesday because there's been a lot of talk about grooming and Disney. And whether to go back and look at now other Disney content that in past eras it was kind of mocked or scoffed at, you know, like Frozen which is just a few years ago, 2015, I think is when that movie came out. But there were taught, you know, there was discussions about that. And that was in the era when we were wondering if the pink Teletubby was a rainbow jihad dog whistle. Okay. But now that, now that Disney's totally out of the closet here from a grooming perspective, and oh, by the way, I don't know if you guys saw this. One of their big wigs um, went to the glad awards, which is the rainbow jihad award banquet. And ripped Bob Chapik, the CEO of Disney, for not being groomer enough now. I mean, the dude has literally tanked his business for you with people who have been and should continue to be, if not for your own actions, your most loyal customers. And has drawn the ire of your increasingly popular governor. That's not good enough, though. You cannot 
prostrate yourself enough for the spirit of the age. You literally can't. If you're if you are yourself not willing to get your nuts cut off, then you just I mean you have to there's nothing you can say or do short of participation that generates acceptable levels of affirmation from the spirit of the ages uh affirmation you crave, right? Nothing right. you can do other than pure unadulterated participation. So last year, Disney came out with the uh, movie based on their, you know, doing movies based on their rides. They did Haunted Mansion years ago, and uh, and now there is one on the Jungle Cruise. Okay, um, and so I went back. I did not see this movie last year, even though that's one of my favorite J- Disney rides when I was a kid. And Emily Blunt's one of my favorite rides right now. So I'm kind of surprised I didn't see this movie. Looking at the box office, though, I am not alone. Uh, this movie had an over $200 million budget on a global basis. It's made barely its budget back. Some of that's COVID, but you're also talking about The Rock, who right now is the number one box office draw in the world. So, is it the movie itself? It's okay. Um, it's pretty violent. My wife and I kept saying that watching it. It's pretty, it's pretty violent for a Disney movie, you know? But the, the 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 brother of Emily Blunt, it, his character is gay, and they made this known before the movie came out. We just had a bunch of other things we were worried about last year than a particular Disney movie that not many people were going to go see, so we didn't talk about it. And and frankly, I also thought this was probably just an attempt, like with Josh Gad's character in Beauty and the Beast, score some cheap woke points with some oblique reference that the average child would not understand. And the parents get, and so you've patted the head of the of the of the spirit of the age mob on Twitter, and you can now move on to, you know, uh, making money doing family fair. That's kind of what I assumed this was, but in light of all of the groomer talk, I decided to watch this movie the other night to see how this was depicted. And as soon as I saw it, I thought this has got to be our pop culture Tuesday discussion this week here on the show. So here we are. If this isn't grooming, then I don't know what the term means. Now, you've seen the film? Yeah. Aaron, have you seen it? Yes. Okay, you've seen it too? Yeah. All right. So, it, it it's clear from the beginning that this character has effeminate features, right? Yeah. And But they, they did a good job of making him likable. Um, there are certain gay stereotype tropes. You know, he's he's packing more of a wardrobe than his sister. He's packing more of his um, uh, queer eye for the straight guy, fashionista uh, trunks than his sister who's wearing trousers, right? There, there's some of those traditional gay tropes in the... But, but, but up until one particular scene, again, I don't know that most kids would have a clue what this is really no. referencing, no. probably. You've seen this in... Movies when we were kids. Yes. I mean, hell, this might have been one of the characters in MASH. We don't really know. Mm-hmm. We don't, was he just doing that because he was trying to get kicked out of the military or was uh, Klinger really into that stuff? We don't really know, right? So, but then there's a scene where they're, him and, Ro- him and the Rock are sitting on the beach. Uh, and he tells his backstory. And he talks about how his sister stood behind him while he had to tell, was it four women 
that he was engaged to three or four women. I can't remember what the number was. It's three or four, but it was multiple women that he was engaged to women of good standing within the uh, upper crust British society that he had quote other interests. Now, if you've not seen the film, minor spoiler, the rocks character you learn later on is like 500 years old. Okay. And he's like cursed to never leave the Amazon because of what happened when he was a Spanish conquistador in the 16th century or something. All right. So he's like 500 years old. So he doesn't get any of this. So he's just like, ah, other interest, huh? Cool. Like you as a parent, it's that feeling you have as a, and you have it as a parent once you have kids. Even if they're not present, Amy and I just watched this by ourselves. Even if your kids aren't present and they're, our kids are too old to be indoctrinated now. Well, indoctrinated this way. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, um, but it's that feeling that once you're a parent, you get that pit in your stomach like they're really going to go there. You know, what I'm, you, you know what I'm talking about, sure. right? Do I have to turn this off? What yeah. do I have to? It's that pit in the stomach you get when you're like, oh, bleep, they're going to go there. And so I got that pit in the stomach, even though my kids weren't in the room and they're too old for this now anyway. And it's clear The Rock has no, The Rock's character has no clue what this is a reference to. Because he just comes from a time and a place that this was just not even a consideration. Okay. So he just kind of shook it off. Other interests, I don't know, you want to be a priest? I mean, I want to roam the earth, whatever, dude. I don't know, you know, whatever. And so the gay character could not leave the story there. They could have just left it there. And I would have I would have considered that to be grooming enough had they just done that. No, they had to close the loop. And so the dialogue goes on where he explains his sexuality and even drops the line. Oh, and he talks about how his sister stood by him when friends and family in the upper crust shunned him. And he says, quote, all because of who I choose to love, unquote. That is as groomer as it gets. And and using the Rock's character, who comes from a time and an age where these conversations are not even taking place, as the conduit for this backstory to be communicated, which is really not relevant to the story on any level whatsoever. It's just not relevant. To me, I found this to be, and now maybe it's because we're just so turned on to that statement, that that word right now, and it's a buzzword. But that struck me as absolutely blatant grooming in that film. Thoughts? In I disagree. Good. Oh. I'm glad someone else has another opinion. Go ahead. Not the way you think, though. Okay. Uh, all because of how uh, that quote was remarkably accurate off the top of your head. All because of who I whom I choose to love. I thought oh, this wasn't. A ch- I thought this wasn't a choice. Huh. Dumbass. <laughs> I like which you doing Tulsi Gabbard on me. Yeah. You came off the top rope on Ron DeSantis. We should be doing this all the way yeah. to high school seniors. All right, Betty. That's a good point. That is a good point that they did use that they did frame it that way. Whom I choose to love. Yeah, go ahead. In an odd way, and I agree entirely about how you summed up the scene as well. I was kind of encouraged because I I enjoyed the movie. 
it was a good movie. That was a good. It 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 produced everything I would hope for. It didn't it didn't reach into like A territory, but that was a good solid B B plus for the kind of movie you were uh, expecting uh, to go to see. But but that scene, it it was so unnecessary, so unrelated to the needs of the story whatsoever. It just showed me how preposterous this is going to be mm-hmm. if they continue to... There's no way to do this in a way that everybody's... Like, I mean, everybody may just sit there, yeah, whatever, this is the way things are, but it won't be, like, good. It it won't be, like, effortless storytelling. It won't be... We won't be sitting there acknowledging, wow, that was amazing cinematic craftsmanship, the way that story... You have to admit, the way that gay narrative was in there was crucial to the telling of the 11th hour drama. I see what you're saying. That'll never happen. It was like watching, and this... Are they doing... The Spirit of the Age is doing their version of the cheesy Christian movie conversion scene? That's what you're talking about? That even makes the Christians cringe? Oh, yeah. There's no way to do this in a way that is just... Unless you will just have to tell... A f- out and out, flat out, uh, cowboy. What was the, um, the, the, you know, the movie um, Brokeback Mountain? Mm-hmm. It'll have to be just th- that because listen, Steve, putting this scene where they did, I, ha- it was like you're watching the Winter Soldier with Captain America, and you know the weight. I mean, a heavy movie, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, for five minutes, you've got that clip. I think it's in Spider-Man: Homecoming, where they're watching Captain America talk about sex ed and yeah. like goofy riffs like that. Yeah, and it's perfect within that movie. But if you put that Captain America for five minutes in the Winter Soldier, you're like, what the hell are we doing here? What happened to the narrative? This, mm-hmm. Why are we campy all of a sudden? Because that's what they they just like decide to do like a five minute timeout from the movie and we're going to do our after school special. And then they went on with the movie again. Right. And it's going to be that ridiculous. And so again, I was oddly encouraged. It's that stupid. You guys can't possibly pull this off because everybody gets how forced and ridiculous it is. That's a fascinating point. But, but I would come back with, did you notice how his character totally changed at that, from that moment on? He's like a complete badass in the movie now. Punching guys, fighting guys, but all the prissiness and everything's largely gone. He's just a complete and total badass now. At the end of the at the end of the movie, uh, by for the rest of the movie. And what I also found fascinating is at the end of the movie, what is the relationship that is edified and elevated at the end of the movie? <laughs> yeah, it's Sis. Emily Blunt's proto feminist yep. character finally found a man she's worthy of submitting to. Uh, he just happens to be 500 years old from another time and place way outside yeah. of her proto progressive values that she can't get enough of. And that's her new beau. That's her husband. They, yeah. they, and, they, and they live happily ever after and drive off, which kind of goes to your point. Yeah, I know. I mean, they, they that... still couldn't avoid the old magic at the end of their own propaganda. They still couldn't do it. No. I mean, really, just picture that at the end. Him, the brother, being with The Rock. Really? Okay. Good luck with that. What I hear Todd saying is, take it from us as Christians. 
we know what cringy attempts to force your beliefs into a story yeah. that doesn't otherwise <laughs> yeah. belong and go with the story. What it does to your level of storytelling. We have a graveyard of Christian movies that promise that if you sacrifice story for your indoctrinative narrative, it doesn't matter how much bigger of a budget the special effects are, the movie will suffer accordingly. Is yes. that what I hear you saying? Yes. By all means, you guys are now free to make all the mistakes we've made trying to do Christian entertainment. By all means. I kind of like that. Yeah. It's contrarian. So, you know, I like contrarian takes. That was well done. That's for you. Thank you. Uh, folks, before we get out of here, make sure I tell you about our friends over at uh, Home Title Lock. The war in Europe, just the kind of chaos that has identity thieves uh, paying attention. Uh, and one of the easiest targets can be American homeowners uh, because... A lot of our home titles are kept online, and that title is the only thing that truly proves we own our own home. They can go in and hack those databases, make it look like you've sold your home to them, and then they're now liquidating all of that equity that you have stored up in that home. Often you don't find out about it until the kinds of calls and emails start showing up you never want to see or hear. Make sure you put a virtual barrier around your home's title and protect it with our friends over at Home Title Lock. You can go to their website right now, hometitlelock.com. Register your address to see if you're already a victim. And then you can also make sure to protect your most valuable asset while you're there. At hometitlelock.com, your mortgage lender and your homeowner's insurance can't protect you from this, but Home Title Lock does at hometitlelock.com. All right, any final thoughts? We got about a minute here. Well, that was a fun ending to what was a heavy show and yesterday felt heavy too it's uh i don't know for just speaking for me uh this yeah it's it, it feels like all of this on some days feels like we're about to break through we have some victories for whatever for me the last two days it felt like you know are we just is just invincible ignorance we are under judgment we should have so many light bulb aha moments by now and we don't so uh, hopefully the next two or three days uh, pull me out of that because um, I'm not allowed to live without hope as are none of most of the people who watch this show. So let hope reign. Vinegar and wine still exist, Todd. Soon. Soon. And built bars for you, Steve. I think that might be the issue. tables for me. You just have not been able to self-medicate at the level you're the comfortable with. In a little yes, while. Yes, yes. All right, we're going to we're going to add to that edge with what we're about to record here with the overtime. Looking at UK vaccine data for the rest of you, we'll see you tomorrow John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.